Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and worldwide. Hello and welcome to a special edition Global Council podcast from Brussels. I'm Tom White, responsible for our advisory services related to the EU institutions and the EU member states. I'm joined by our practice lead for energy policy, Hermana Gilda Bocabella, and by Anna Martinez, one of our experts on the EU institutions and the politics between them and the member states. We were hoping today to do a review of the first 100 days of the uh, geopolitical European Commission that took office at the end of last year under Ursula von der Leyen. That term has a slightly different connotation for us now, given the way in which events have really taken over the focus of the EU institutions as they deal with the health policy challenges, the coordination challenges and the economic policy measures in response to the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic in Europe. The first 100 days were set up by von der Leyen as a crucial period where the new commission would take the initiative in a series of priority areas around um, climate change, industrial strategy and Europe's place in the world and marked a slightly different approach from that what we saw under her predecessor Jean-Claude Juncker which tried to set out a longer term programme of activity and ultimately was much more defined by events such as the migration crisis and the process of the UK leaving the EU. And so this concept of the 100 days was a conscious effort to take a different approach to setting priorities and it reflected a much more familiar pattern that we've seen in American politics and indeed quite often by corporate leaders when uh, taking on a new role to really have a big impact. Um, and so we were always intending to do a review of those first 100 days but of course it's clear now that that is going to be a much more important inflection point where we see the Commission potentially take on a different set of priorities and having to deal with a much more complicated landscape in both the Council and the European Parliament. And I think we're going to try and look at both what we can learn from the first 100 days, but also what the lessons from that will mean as we look ahead to the next 100 days and indeed the coming years. To start us off, Anna, perhaps I can turn to you and ask, um, what did you expect from these 100 days and how did you see things playing out in practice, observing both the legislation and the high politics of the last few months? Thank you, Tom. Um, I think it's important to start uh, by remembering that Ursula von der Leyen was a compromise candidate between the leaders of the member states. She was approved by the uh, members of the European Parliament, but only by a narrow majority. Um, and this perhaps explains the organization of her College of Commissioners, um, which I see as having two important characteristics. Um, the first one being that it is seen as more democratic um, than the Juncker Commission, uh, with a more horizontal um, setup. So it's no longer just Juncker and Secretary General Martin Selmayr calling the shots. The second one is that perhaps because of her weakness, von der Leyen surrounded herself um, of big beasts, so to speak, 
Um, so people like Margrethe Vestager or Franz Timmermans, who already had a previous commissioner experience and who have a very high profile in the European bubble. Um, but having a strong team can also be a weakness. And I think we have seen so far two instances where this has been the case. Um, the first one is the differences um, of opinion and of views between um, Commissioner uh, Poton and Commissioner Vesayer. Um, to, to give an example, um, the EU's industrial strategy uh, does not clarify whether the EU will seek to restrict the activities of large businesses to enable the emergence of European companies or be more tolerant on mergers to create European champions. And on European champions, we know that, for example, Vestager and Breton do not see eye to eye. Um, and the second one is how certain commissioners have struggled uh, to work in this kind of environment where it's more horizontal uh, and where you have more high profile commissioners. And this is perhaps the case of uh, Franz Timmermans, who has been seen as focusing on securing political mileage for himself and as a result has isolated people. Yeah, I think Timmermans Anna is a is quite a quite a significant example. Obviously, I mean this is Euro gossip, but there's been a lot of talk that he doesn't necessarily have the sort of support that uh, he thinks he has throughout the Commission. You've certainly seen with the early release of the Green Deal and and the European Climate Law was one of the big hundred day achievements. It was it was listed as something that was was going to mark the hundred days, and certainly it did. But there's been a a lot of disappointment from the European climate law and, and that disappointment has been pegged directly at Timmermans. There is no address of the 2030 emissions reductions targets, something which in reality actually needs to come to fruition if we're going to be compliant with the Paris Agreement. Um, decision making hasn't necessarily been uh, that straightforward and it certainly does beggar the question, especially when it comes to the Green Deal, which is meant to be the signature policy, is whether or not someone like Timmermans has enough backing. Obviously, there's been other pieces of policies that have been delivered. Um, you have the data agenda, which has been quite clear since the 100 days, the industrial strategy uh, and the circular economy action plan. But there are a lot of elements of both that fall short. Uh, the industrial strategy seems to be really kind of struggling as you said between this competition between Vestager and um, and Breton uh, when it came to their opinion on European champions you know on one side you have everyone talking and boasting about competition law and the importance of of uh, of an equal playing field and then on the other hand you're talking about champions which means you've already picked the winner of the race before it started um, these are all elements that are really significant to what the first 100 days and how the first 100 days should be looked at. Obviously, though, uh, the COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic, the global pandemic, um, has changed things significantly. One of the things I noted this morning, uh, the European Union has frozen its rules on, on budget, something that 
if we were to talk about that three weeks ago, I think each of us would have said wouldn't be a possibility. Uh, Germany has given up on its on its Schwarzenegger. Um, France and the Netherlands have started to accept the possibility of of EU enlargement talks. All of these were things that were not part of the agenda 100 days ago or 110 days ago. Um, these are all elements that have really come in and, and shaken things up. And, and there's a whole lot of other things that have been unforeseen. Uh, there is also the possibility of the migration crisis re-emerging. Um, uh, the finalization of the MFF talks is is going to be a significant um, a, a significant weight on the shoulders of the Commission, and the next hundred days, if we're honest, are going to be consumed by addressing COVID nineteen and how we're going to be able to rebuild um, or how quickly we're going to be able to address it so that we can start the rebuild. And in that sense, it's not about the first hundred days. The first 100 days was like a honeymoon period. The next 100 days is going to be weathering a very significant storm. But what need, what we should probably be looking at is is like further into the future. I, th- I think that's a really interesting way to think of it, that in some ways, and we did flag this at the time to some, some of the clients we were working with, that essentially the first 100 days was presented as a, a bit of a shopping list. Um, of what was going to be ticked off and clearly some of those things turned out to be possible um, and some of those things turned out to be a bit more difficult whether based on the tensions within the commission or in some of the disconnect between the commission and the council or the commission and the parliament and that's why I would think Anna's scorecard is is so mixed for the von der Leyen commission against its stated targets and during that 100 day period we to be honest, concluded that where things failed at the first effort, they would simply come back and have another go later on. And so that's really why some of the industrial strategy decisions are deferred until Q3 or Q4 of this year, or even into 2021. But now, as we look at the impact of the COVID-19 crisis, we really have to think about, you know, was that honeymoon period essentially a a bygone age and a series of initiatives that will now be overtaken by a new set of priorities. And I think we can say with some certainty that the emphasis on a geopolitical commission and one where the economy and the single market were really um, set relatively... um, uh, with relatively low profile in those priorities, that they will come back front and centre and that people such as Valdis Dombrovskis will perhaps have more importance than they seem to have in the first few months. Um, I think Anna's point about the strength of the team is interesting in this environment and one of the ways in which von der Leyen tried to essentially have a grip on that team was to get everyone signed up to a clear set of priorities and clearly if that set of priorities is in flux then the level of attachment that individual commissioners will have to them will also vary Um, and I think you have some great assets in in that commission uh, in some ways stronger than previous commissions I worked with I think that Margarita Vestaya and Thierry Breton could be a, a formidable team. Um, the challenge for them as two strong personalities with very strong opinions is to try and have the kind of creative 
tension that we see in other successful double acts. And the hope just has to be that they turn out more like Lennon and McCartney than like um, the more turbulent relationship between the Gallagher's in Oasis or other groups that didn't last the full term. Um, I think that the challenge for them will be to say when when the priority is around restoring growth urgently, you know, what, what do you do? Perhaps there isn't time to think about strategically where your strengths are and which champions you want to have in areas like artificial intelligence. Actually, what you need to do is restructure your state aid rules to make sure that the economies can survive this particular period of of contraction and come through the other side. And I think that's been essentially why the Commission has been so um, slow to respond in some ways to the crisis compared to the member states. There's been a strong sense that the member states have acted and then the Commission has met to try and retrofit the rules to permit what was going to happen anyway. And that was, I think, behind the decision on the Stability and Growth Pact and the fiscal rules, as well as on the state aid restrictions. Um, but clearly that can't continue forever. The Commission will need to be more more proactive, more on the front foot as things get into um, April and, and May, and we see the challenges in the economy persisting. I think that one of the key tests will be for von der Leyen herself to show that she can take a lead in areas that are perhaps a bit outside her comfort zone, um, that are not to do with security and defence policy, but are more to do with economic stimulus and providing uh, legal and political cover to the European Central Bank as it continues what are going to be some very unorthodox measures. Um, and also, I suppose she has some um, backstory to draw on as a, a qualified doctor to really provide the kind of reassurance to both to citizens but also to financial markets about this crisis being temporary and with the potential for Europe to recover from it as long as the great assets such as the single market are not are not lost. And we've seen some important but not particularly um, eye-catching initiatives around keeping open trade and keeping the single market for goods flowing despite some of the constraints on for example wanting to test for uh, test truck drivers for the virus and some of the pressures from national governments to renationalize supply chains as we've seen in the French uh, food supply and supermarket sectors and clearly the Commission has a role to play in avoiding that sort of fragmentation which would damage wider growth potential and sustainability. Um, but clearly looking beyond those next hundred days which I think will be dominated by crisis response we will have to see a longer term agenda and Adventure given your uh, experience with energy companies, which clearly have to think very long term, and also working on some of the long term climate targets, you know, what what do you think will be the priorities for the next thousand days or for the rest of the Commission's term? 
Well, I think there's going to have to be a wider economic agenda focusing on rebuilding. I mean, and I would go so far as to say, and we've heard it mentioned um, in the Euro bubble, that, you know, will we need some sort of Marshall Plan to be able to get us through this crisis? Um, we've seen economies essentially decimated by this this immediate halt in all production, um, and, and that's going to be significant. There are some sectors, as you mentioned before, that are really going to struggle to be able to gain the sort of relevance that they had before, um, especially some of the some areas and some businesses that will not survive this. Um, I think there will be, there will have to be, especially in the boardrooms, the the sort of kind of review of assets to really look at things like. Uh, fossil energy assets and whether or not you know there there was any longevity or, or whether or not there is a purpose in reviving those sorts of assets in a set of circumstances where their longevity was limited anyway to the next 15 or 20 years is there any point in investing in that and that kind of brings me uh brings me to the point of kind of saying if we are going to have a wider rebuild package, if we are going to have a Marshall Plan, then I think perhaps what we're going to see is the principal policy from the beginning of the 100 days, that Green New Deal, morph into a kind of Green Marshall Plan New Deal. And I think that will be extremely significant because it will certainly, it, it will it will have ramifications, obviously, for a number of sectors that we're hoping to continue to have a, a stronghold in and continue to have a sense of relevance um, in the neck in the coming decades. Um, but it also has ramifications for the EU budget. Uh, this kind of this perpetual growth or this growth scenario is is not going to come to fruition, uh, and that's going to be quite difficult. And of course, what is this going to mean for the MFF? I think that is quite an interesting question. And clearly, we were looking at the last council meeting. Um, in February as an example of how the EU was struggling to overcome the divides with member states very much entrenched in showing that they could secure victories at the European level and if anything a focus on national economic plans and national economic stimulus is going to further entrench that. Um, I mean Anna how, how do you see this playing out in the council? Well I think it's a very um, interesting question and we have focused a lot um, during this conversation in the European Commission. But I think the uh, yeah elephant in the room is um, the council and how Charles Michel will have to step up as council president um, to be able to bring together and unite uh, the council. And we will see how how he will do during a Thursday's video conference um, and beyond. Uh, but what is clear is that his role will become increasingly important, particularly given the, the health crisis at a time when, as you said, Tom, you know, member states' priorities are, are shifting. So we'll definitely be reviewing this um, next week after, after Thursday's uh, video conference. Absolutely. It, it could be that we end up thinking of the von der Leyen Commission as the having a, a pre-March Council phase and a post-March Council phase and with a very different way of working, a different political balance. Um, clearly, the Commission does not do um, overnight pivots and the Council even less so, um, but the dramatic changes that we've seen 
just in the last week that Adam Adilda was talking about, you know, opening the accession negotiations with um, Albania and North Macedonia, um, changing the, f the fiscal rules, a sign that there will not be taboos in the next few years and we'll need to see who has um, emerged from this crisis sort of more emboldened and who is more on the defensive um, and we'll continue to follow this very closely. Um, as you mentioned we will also uh, be reviewing the European Council results at the end of this week on a, on a call for clients um, but for now thank you very much for this discussion and we look forward to working on these issues for the next couple of years. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.